Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's going to hurt, and that's right. okay. It was nighttime and we were struck by a drunken high driver. All of future we, we thought we had were, were taken from us, and life felt meaningless. How do you pick yourself I mean, up off the floor? How do you... Yeah. Roll out of bed in the morning. I knew I had to sort of take some kind of active steps towards re-engaging with life. You're alive and they're not. We try to cure everything. But yet when it comes to grief, we're like, oh, no, no, but not that one. What made you put your heart out there again in that way? I'm Dr. Amy Robbins, and welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and medium. And here we explore life, death, consciousness, and what it all means. Today, I have an incredible, incredible guest on the show. Colin Campbell is a writer and director for theater and film. The short film he wrote and directed with his beautiful and talented wife, Cirilio, was nominated for an Academy Award. Campbell teaches screenwriting at Chapman University and theater at California State Polytech University in Pomona. He has a BA from the University of Pennsylvania and an MFA from Columbia. Campbell's highly anticipated solo performance piece, Grief, a one-man shit show, premiered at the Hollywood Fringe Festival, where it won Best Broadwater Award and just closed in New York. Finding the words, working through profound loss with hope and purpose is his first book out now. Welcome, Colin. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. So before we get into your story, I want to share my experience in coming mm -hmm. across your work. So I was sitting in an airport, heading out to visit my parents and do some work on some of my podcast and everything out in California. And it popped up and I started reading it and started crying in the airport and wanted to distance myself from it. I noticed mm. that I was like, I can't, I'm not sure I can read this. And I read a lot about grief. Mm. I have three children of my own. Um, what you shared and we'll get into it really stirred up a lot for me emotionally. And this is what I do for a living, right? Like I'm a <laughs> therapist. I work with people who have lost children, parents, you know, siblings. And then it kept popping up. You kept popping up in my social media feed, <laughs> your book, what you say about finding words and, and this notion that there are no words, that thing, the thing that most people say, particularly when parents lose children. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I, I really want to reach out. I really want to read this story, even though I know it is going to be excruciatingly painful to mm. read. And I'm, yeah. I'm sharing all of this because I think that this is likely what a lot of people who are surrounding those they love, who have lost in the way you have, feel. Mm. And so they back away and right. they don't engage and they don't connect because they don't want to feel the depth of the pain that is mm -hmm. grief. Yeah. 
So I just wanted to give that, you know, start by opening up with that because I think it's, it's not, and I'm aware of it because it's what I do. So I have this kind of meta awareness of what I'm, why I'm feeling what I'm feeling and why I'm feeling it. And I work hard to understand it. But I think for so many people who don't, it can be so hard for them to sit with someone else in their pain and grief. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of, a lot of us are scared of pain um, and a lot of behavior and choices we make in our lives are to avoid pain and discomfort. Um, and, and I think one of the things I, I learned, unfortunately, through my loss is that um, I, I found that I had to lean into the pain, mm-hmm. that if I was going to function in the world, if I was going to allow myself to still enjoy and appreciate the love that I shared with with my children, there was no way other than leaning into the pain, because the only other choice is avoidance. So if I'm avoiding my pain, I'm avoiding the memories I've had of Ruby and Hart, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because it's going to cause pain. So the joy and the pain are mixed in a way that um, that sort of taught me to not be scared of the pain. So I know we're so I I wanted to kind of use that as a little bit of a backdrop, but Mm. let's start. Tell me about Ruby and Hart and their lives (laughs) um, and and who they were. Like, what were the unique fingerprints of who they were and how they lived? Oh, thank you for asking. Yeah, I I remember it was the second night of Shiva and, um, you know, we surrounded by people at our home. It was the, the second night after the funeral. For those of you who aren't Jewish, and um, and I said to the assembled people, I, I know everyone thinks that their kid is is the is the greatest, but actually my kids were the greatest. <laughs> they, they actually were mm-hmm. <laughs> objectively, <laughs> which I know I can't really say that, but they that's how I really pretty spectacular. Really felt. Yeah, they were special. <laughs> they are special. Um, so. Uh, the first thing I want to say is, is just they they were incredibly cool. <laughs> um, they were very proud of who they were. They were in touch with who they were, and they were very very kind. Mm-hmm. So they were um, they were like magnets. I remember mean, one one friend of Ruby's just just described her as magnetic, uh, and that was true for both of them. People were just drawn to these kids. They were um, in many ways the life of the party, <laughs> especially Hart. He was like the life of the party. Any party we'd go to, he always wanted to stay home. He, he always he's like, like a homebody, but then once he got to the party, he always had the best time. <laughs> and everybody always just wanted to be around him, and he was just the life of the party. Or if we threw threw a party, <laughs> um, and uh, and so he was a clown. He was like uh, a nonstop, you know right from the get-go, even as a child, as a little child, he was a clown. Um, he would just create these personas and they all had names and his friends knew them by name and they'd call them out. They'd say, oh, do, do Sarah, you know, do Richard. Like they oh. <laughs> turn into these characters and play these characters to the delight of, of his friends. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so he was an artist in that sense, um, creating these wonderfully um, ridiculous and often uh, inappropriate characters. <laughs> he was a 14-year-old boy, and, mm-hmm. um, and some of his humor, as I said, uh, there was a, a, cer- a, cer- a ceremony at his school, which was held in the chapel. It was an Episcopalian mm-hmm. school. And I said, you know, I spoke to the whole um, high school class after his, after his death, uh, and it was quite beautiful that they allowed me to talk about my ruby and heart. And, um, and I said, I can't really share any of his jokes because they're all inappropriate for chapel. <laughs> <laughs> for those of you who have reached out on Patreon and donated, thank you so much for heeding that call. Thank you. If you have not yet supported the podcast, please go to Patreon, put in Dr. Amy Robbins, and there is an opportunity to support at whatever feels comfortable for you. It helps me with the production costs. My small, very small, but mighty team, it helps keep all of that running. So if you are a fan of the podcast, please consider donating whatever feels good to you. $5 a month, $20 a month, please take a minute and donate. Also, I am so excited that my course that I have been working on for years is 
getting ready. We're getting closer. It will be launched at some point this year. So if you're interested, please go ahead and put yourself on the wait list on my website at dramyrobbins.com. Also, if you happen to have any companies that you think are aligned with the vibe of this podcast, I'm looking for sponsorships as well. And the best thing you can do to help this podcast is to spread it via word of mouth. I know so many of you have already said, I've shared this with my friend or even therapists have shared it with their patients and patients have shared it with therapists. If you love the podcast, please, please share it. We have an online global reach here. So go ahead, tell your friends, tell your family, rate and review the podcast. Just spread the word so we can continue spreading messages of love and light and consciousness and awareness and science and spirituality and just how to live the most meaningful life that you possibly can. Please support Life, Death, and the Space Between. Um, but um, and then Ruby was an amazing artist. So she discovered visual arts kind of late in her life. She was a reader, a voracious reader and like a scientific mind mm-hmm. when she was younger. Um, this, this brilliant, brilliant mind. And then she turned to art right around when she was 14 or 15. She struggled with, with suicidality and OCD mm-hmm. and depression. Um, and that was very hard for us um, because she was such a radiant light um, until suddenly she was, you know, she was racked with OCD and it mm-hmm. sent her into spirals of depression, uh, feeling trapped, you know, in her mind until we found the right medication and the right therapist. Uh, and then she was able to manage the OCD and, and then became like this rock star. Hmm. which was really beautiful to see her um, embrace her, her sexuality. Um, she came out as this proud lesbian. I call her a proud lesbian warrior for social justice because she was just mm-hmm. fierce in her protection of the, of the, um, the oppressed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Any kid that was being picked on, Ruby would like, take up the mantle and you know stop it <laughs> because she was that powerful. Um, but she created beautiful works of art, uh, digital art. She did animation. She did line drawings, pencil drawings, painting. Wow. Everything. They both sound like super creative. Yeah. Just like in touch with themselves in an incredible way at, at the ages in, in which they were. Yeah. You know, that's pretty yeah. rare for those ages. Yeah. So tell us what happened. So uh, it was June 12th, 2019. And we were uh, we were taking a family road trip to Joshua Tree, which is about it's in the high desert, about two and a half hours east of Los Angeles. For those of you who don't know, it's a sweet little town with amazing rocks and trees. The Joshua trees are amazing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there are special trees that are only found in certain very few locations on Earth. And one of them is in Joshua Tree, where they're there by the the thousands. So it's a very special kind of magical place. And. um, We'd be going out there all their lives. So all four of us loved scrambling up these rocks. They're fun rocks to climb. And, and we looked at this home as like a vacation home. Uh, this, this little small kind of rundown cottage, but with amazing views. And we're like, wow, this is a magical place. And we bought it and we were going back there, uh, having just, just said, yes, we want to buy it. to so just look at it again one more time. Um, and, and we were struck, it was nighttime and we were struck by a drunken high driver going 40 miles above the freeway speed limit. And, um, and she never even touched the brakes. She was so drunk and high. And, um, and Ruby and Hart were killed in the backseat. And Hart was 14 and Ruby was 17. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my wife, Gail and I, we were suddenly in a whole other world, right? Um, in our whole lives and all the future we, we thought we had were, were taken from us and, and we felt shattered and had to figure out a way to, to mourn and process our grief. Mm-hmm. And so it hasn't, I mean, it's only been, what, not even coming up on four years. Coming up on four years, that's right. And you take us in this book through the process of your grief, mm-hmm. but also really the process of probably most people's grief, despite what so many say about there is no one way to grieve. Yeah. Yeah. So what, I mean, you were in, you've been in grief groups, you've been, you know, you've worked very closely with your rabbi, it sounds Mm -hmm. like, and your community. 
to to embrace and kind of like hug grief in as tight as you could yeah to to come out I I don't even want to say come out because I don't think you ever come out of this but to 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 still live I guess would be yeah I think that's a great way to put it right you know how how do we how do we stay in life uh, and still and still grieve still be in touch with that grief but not um but not be trying to compartmentalize it in a way and um uh, or be overwhelmed by it mm-hmm. um, and uh, i found for me um if i was just sitting around feeling sad uh, i would be overwhelmed with my grief it would i would it would send me into despair um but if i was able to take action in grief uh, and mm-hmm. um either have a ritual or a ceremony or talk to a friend about ruby and heart or my grief or even just little things like i'm, I'm actually wearing a shirt of rubies right now mm. um she loved and you can see oh i can stand oh up. i can't say let me there's oh. like an octopus yeah. Ruby loved octopuses and this is her shirt and she loved it and um and i have i have tattoos these are rubies mm. designs these wolves that she did is that the, the <laughs> i know you talked about the wolf you feed that that yeah um, famous kind of quote about which one which kind of part of your psyche are you going to engage with Mm, right right is it going to be the joyful side or the or the bitter side right Mm -hmm. the rage and envy or the love um yeah yeah um so i try and feed the love (laughs) but um uh yeah and how do we how do we reconnect to meaning and purpose Mm-hmm. That seems so important to me because at the time it, life felt meaningless. I had no purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what it felt like to me, um, losing Ruby and Hart. And I did not like that. <laughs> I did not want to sit yeah. in that despair. Um, and so I knew I had to sort of take some kind of active steps towards reengaging with life. And where do you even begin when you lose mm-hmm in such a profound way. I mean, that's anybody who has children, it becomes, you can't imagine it before you have kids and then you have kids and your identity Mm -hmm. becomes right. Being their parent in so many ways. Yeah. And, and so as a parent losing both kids at the same time, Mm -hmm. where do you start? Like, yeah, what's the first step? Yeah, what's the first step? That's a great question. No one's asked me that before. What's the first step? I always like to try to ask. I love when someone says, no one's asked me that before. I'm like, yes. The very first step. Wow. Like how do you pick yourself I mean, up off the floor? How do you yeah. roll out of bed in the morning? Yeah, I think... Um, wow, what's the first... Well, I'll stick an early step. I, can't, I don't know if it's the first step, but... Um, uh, but there's a whole lot of denial. Um, it seems like that's a pretty universal reaction that mm-hmm. it's, it's literally, you cannot believe it. How you cannot believe that they are actually gone from this earth and you will never see them again. Mm-hmm. And you're alive and they're not. Um, it is really hard to believe. Right. Um, and it takes a long time to believe it. Um, and, and the denial, you know, works in very strange ways where you just, you, your brain is working to try and fix it, to try and get them back, right? And so you do all sorts of very strange things because part of your brain is trying to get them back. Well, it's almost like, um, a, I think denial too can be like a real safety mechanism, mm-hmm. right? It's like, right, we'll, like a, we'll, we'll open a the buffer. dam a little bit mm-hmm. for you. But if yeah. every if if that reality came in, you know, full force, I feel like you drown. Maybe, yeah, 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 yeah. There's a, like a grace to it that I read, you know, mm-hmm. in a book described as a grace and denial. But ultimately, I feel like denial is not our friend. I feel like I feel like pretty early on, I wanted to, I wanted to actively get away from denial. Mm-hmm. I did not like. Um, living in this world that wasn't real, <laughs> the world where yeah. we heart were still alive. Mm-hmm. I didn't like it. it didn't, didn't leave me feeling good. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Because you you at some point realize it wasn't real. Yeah, yeah, I knew it was. I mean, I I buried my children. Right. <laughs> I was there when they were killed. I saw them, their bodies, so I knew they were dead. But um, and it, it did not give me relief to sort of imagine that they weren't. Um, so so uh, so so that sort of confrontation with denial is sort of the first or one of the early steps. Um, mm-hmm. And the Jewish traditions. So my book is a lot. I'm not Jewish. But my wife's Jewish and mm-hmm. our kids are Jews. We raised them as Jews and they got barred by mitzvah. Um, and that was very meaningful to me and to them, especially to Ruby. Um, and, uh, and so I leaned on the Jewish traditions of mourning and they helped me a lot. And they taught me a lot of very valuable lessons about literally how do you grieve? You mm-hmm. know? And so, so one of the early lessons was about denial. You know, so we, it's a Jewish tradition that the, in this case, the parents, um, we we put dirt from our hands onto their caskets. Um, and then we sat and watched our entire community finish burying them. They continued mm-hmm. burying them uh, right in front of our eyes. Um, and it, it seems on one level like cruel, like why don't you just get these parents out of there? <laughs> but actually, no, it's in a way it's so helpful. Um, and so many of the Jewish traditions are, are, are like that. Like you don't have one night of Shiva. There's, it's the whole week of Shiva. Right. People keep coming to your house and you keep, and, you, and you're supposed to say the mourner's prayer every day for the first year. Mm-hmm. And you can't say the mourner's prayer all by yourself. You have to say it in community. There have to be at least mm-hmm. nine other people with you, you know, a minion. Um, and so, so there you are weeping in front of other people and saying these words that are in a way acknowledging the, the death of your loved one and and your community is is essentially amening your your proclamations of grief that's mm-hmm. how i look at it you know some people might say oh they're saying amen to god but because i'm not religious it felt to me like they were saying amen to me and my wife you know publicly articulating our grief mm-hmm. which is a beautiful beautiful thing to my mind and it really sounds to me and reading like those rituals. And I always say, cause I'm Jewish. My listeners know this. We in the Jewish faith, we do milestones, all of them birth to death quite well. Like I think <laughs> parti- yeah. particularly death yeah. um, in terms of how you acknowledge the dead, how you continue to acknowledge them for years to come. Right. right. With what, what we call your site every year at the year mm-hmm. of their death, their names are read. So they are not forgotten. Yeah. Um, and I do think there's there's something. And when I've worked with patients who are not of of either any faith or particularly Jewish faith, it feels a bit like there's like flounder, like you're kind of, you know, throwing your arms up like someone throw me a lifesaver here yeah. um, because there aren't those real kind of prescriptive ways of grieving that the community then supports. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Right, right. The public acknowledgement of our loss. It's so powerful uh, because the alternate is so isolating, mm-hmm. you know, uh, to have nobody talk about Ruby and Hart is so difficult for me when, mm-hmm. when, it, when it happens. Right. It's like this is it, it drives me crazy, like literally crazy. Because How can this be? These two people were such a huge part of my life and the lives of all the people around us. If we're not talking about them, not constantly, but just a little bit, like just acknowledging that they once were here and they're so impactful, it can make me feel like I'm insane. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, 
And so what happens when that time is over? The, sh- the Shiva, right? Which is mm-hmm. seven days. And seven. then the first month is Shloshim, which is the right. 30 days. Yeah. And then, and then it's done. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And everybody else gets back to their lives. And maybe they run into you at the grocery store or on the street. But their lives go on. And yours is... Is in a different place. Is, yeah. 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 Well, well, one of the, I think one of the beautiful lessons that my wife and I learned from Shloshin is that, again, for those of you who don't know, you, you're supposed to mark it in some way. So that the first 30 days, once they end, you're supposed to mark it with a, some sort of a ceremony, uh, which we took to mean a public, a public ritual, a public gathering. And, but there, there's no, you're supposed to do it, but they don't tell you what it should be, what it should look like. There's no rules about what you're supposed to do to mark the end of Shoshim. You're just supposed to mark it. And so Gail and I, we created our own ritual. Um, and maybe, you know, we're theater people, so maybe we're more comfortable creating rituals because <laughs> theaters come from ritual, but in the first place. But um, but we gathered a bunch of friends uh, out in this park that meant a lot to our family. Uh, it was the Los Angeles Arboretum. Um, we've gone there many, many times our whole lives. We, we all four of us love that place as well. And we dedicated two trees and their branches happened to intertwine like they were hugging each other. It was a spectacularly beautiful spot. And it's kind of in a wild corner of the park, the far, far corner. We we saw a whole a whole pack of coyotes stroll by at one point. And so we're like, wow, this place is wild, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. literally wild. Ruben Hart would have loved it um, to to be this the the place that we're going to mark their 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 presence at the park with trees. So we dedicated these two trees and we gathered our friends and we told Ruby and Heart stories and we all wept and, and a, a friend sang a beautiful song and, and our rabbi was there and she, you know, said some prayers and then talked about Ruby and Heart and grief. And we all had a moment of silence. And so that kind of empowered Gail and I. We're like, well, next time we're feeling empty or alone or aching we can always just have another ceremony. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we can gather some friends. It doesn't have to be a huge gathering. We can just gather a couple of friends, right? And have a moment to talk about Ruby and Heart. Um, uh, and that's going to help us. Mm-hmm. And, and it has over the years. We've done, we've marked, you know, because every holiday is a challenge. For those of you who are grieving, you all know this. It's like literally every holiday, right? Like, you know, not just it, the first time around. Not just the first time. Right. Forever. Forever. Right. So, you know, Valentine's Day, you'd think Valentine's Day. Well, that's that's not about kids, but it was for our family. You know, at one point, at one point when Hart and Ruby were older, uh, Gail and I told them, we know, we're going to go out for a romantic dinner. And Hart said, how can you? Valentine's Day is a family holiday. <laughs> we had to tell them, well, technically it's not. It's right, actually right. a romantic holiday. Not, a, But we had always treated it like a family holiday. Mm-hmm. So that means that for the rest of my life, Valentine's Day is going to be emotionally challenging, beautiful and also sad because mm-hmm. Ruby and Hart aren't here. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, their birthdays, um, which the were day, a day apart. A day, a day apart. Three years in a Three day. Three years yep. in a day. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Hers is March 29th and his is March 30th. He was born three years and one day later. And um, those are hard times. And how are you going to do it? How are you going to get through those days? And and I found if we if we lean into it, don't like pretend they aren't there, but lean into the pain of it and try and find some way to honor them, honor our grief. Um, be in community in some ways is we found it be very helpful. Mm-hmm. And it sounded like you and Gail grieved together. You know, a lot mm-hmm. of a, this is kind of common out there that a lot of couples after the loss of a loved one, after the loss of a child, grieve separately and it ends up destroying their marriage. And it sounds yeah. like in many ways you and Gail have really like leaned on each other. And been yeah. able to be there for each other. Yeah. Well, I, I did want to mention statistically, um, it's not true that 
that there's that the rate of divorce is higher amongst people who've lost children, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. So I'm not trying to minimize the the struggles of couples after their children die. There's there's big big struggles, right? But actually, I think there is also a a false narrative that's out there that says mm-hmm. that most couples will divorce, um, and statistically, it's not true. Uh, the rate of divorce is actually lower than the national average because there has been there have been nationwide studies conducted by Compassionate Friends. Mm-hmm. which is a nationwide bereavement organization for children, for, for parents, grandparents, and siblings who've lost. Um, uh, and so, at any rate, um, uh, but yes, <laughs> to answer your question, Gail and I, we did, we did tend to grieve in very compatible ways. Even if we were in a different mindset, you know, moment to moment or hour to hour, we certainly both agreed that, we were going to lean into the pain of our loss. We were going to talk about Ruby and Hart and our, and our grief, and we were going to hold rituals together um, to help us. Uh, yeah. And I, I think that I've heard from many couples who do struggle with the idea that they grieve differently. And I, I kind of feel like, well, they're not really grieving differently. One is trying to actively grieve and one is trying to avoid the grief. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, so, you know, I, I would just encourage people who are struggling to not avoid the grief and, and talk about it. And that's going to really, I think, bring, bring you together with, mm-hmm. your, with your loved one, whether it's a spouse or a sibling or whoever else you're grieving with, you know. Um, if, if you can share, if you can find a way to share the, your feelings uh, and the pain and the loss, it's going to be so much um, less suffering mm-hmm. as you grieve together. I think the suffering part is what we want to try and avoid. Can you, and can you talk about what is what defines suffering? And yeah. so you talk about pain, suffering, and despair. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and, and I, I did, I got this idea from Megan Devine. So I always want to credit her because she really helped her book, It's, it's Okay or Not Okay, really helped me in early grief. But um I don't think she invented it, though. <laughs> That's where I got it. <laughs> That's where I received it. But um, the idea is, is that, you know, we're going to experience pain. We love somebody. They're gone. That hurts. That's just how it is. There's mm-hmm. no way to, you can't, you can't, <laughs> you can't escape it. That's the, the price you pay for love. Um, and that's okay. Well, and I think the hurt of it, particularly in Western culture, is that we try to cure everything. Right, right. You're trying to fix things, right? Right. Trying to to comfort and and reduce the pain. But you can't. You can't reduce that pain. You've got to experience it. And it's okay because it comes from love. Um, And so it hurts, but it's bearable. Um, I I believe we can all bear the pain of loss um, Mm -hmm. as long as we're not trying to run from it. (laughs) If you try to run from it, then maybe it becomes unbearable. But if Mm -hmm. you let yourself feel it, we we can all bear that pain. But then there's suffering and the suffering part, the idea there is that that's not actually the healthy pain of loss. That's the, the, the unhealthy junk that comes along with the time. So like mm-hmm. suffering is like being abandoned by your friends and family. That's like suffering. You, mm-hmm. you feel now you feel alone in your pain. That's not, that's not honoring your loved one. That's just you <laughs> suffering loneliness. Mm-hmm. Um, and then guilt, you know, guilt and regret. These are things that, that are going to come, you can't avoid them. But, but if, but there, if you can see them as suffering and, and not, not in a way honoring the beautiful life you shared with your loved one, if you can allow those feelings to pass mm-hmm. as best you can, you know, right. Don't dwell in, in the guilt and the regret. Cause that's not, that's going to lead you to suffering. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just noticing, like I'm feeling guilty today, which you felt mm-hmm. quite often. Oh yeah. Every day. I feel guilty every day, sadly. Yeah. But I just try not to dwell in it. Right. And you go back and replay Mm -hmm. what happened, which I think is really common. Right. Right. Yeah. I do that. I do that less now. Um, you know, uh, thankfully. Um, but, um, but the thoughts certainly come to my mind. Mm -hmm. All the, all the, the ugly self punishing thoughts come to my mind all the time, but I just try not to dwell there because I just, know that it's not helping anybody. And then, right. And then you talk about despair mm. and the potential to slip into 
yeah that place of you know just complete devastation and despair and 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 i wanted and hopelessness and the desire to die which you Mm -hmm. had yeah which i would think i would also have if i experienced what you experienced so how do you how do you again walk through that desire without doing anything i mean you and your Mm -hmm. wife and your your kids are gone and yeah your identity and like how do you not just want to say i'm i'm out yeah well a couple of things one is i i I thankfully never was actually suicidal so i never had plans i never thought Mm -hmm. of actually ending i just felt the feeling of not wanting to live without them Mm -hmm. you know what i mean so i think that is an important distinction yes um because suicidality is a is another level of of suffering um and despair that that you, that you need help that you need to get help right away mm-hmm. um I don't, you know i think if you're suicidal you're not you're not going to fix it on your own you need you need help right away um but um so I, I was never actually actively suicidal but i did i did definitely have many times when i did not want to be alive mm-hmm. yeah. and sort i think of that passive that's yeah that's kind of that passive ideation despair. that we talked yeah. about yeah and uh and i thought um, one thing was that Ruby struggled with suicidality. So she actually mm-hmm. did feel suicidal and she fought hard uh, to not be suicidal. And she tried so many different medications and so many different therapists because she kept trying to engage in life. And, uh, and eventually she did find the right therapist and the right medication. And, and she emerged from her suicidality and OCD and depression. And it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. And so on one level, I was like, there's no way I'm going to end my life because how could I do that to Ruby? Mm -hmm. She fought so hard and then her life was stolen from her. My God, she, you know, if she was out there in the universe, she'd be so angry at me. Right. I couldn't do that. Mm -hmm. I couldn't dishonor my child. That's really what I felt like. I will not dishonor Ruby. Mm Um, not to mention what it would do to my wife, right? Right, right, right. <laughs> and all my friends and family. After having seen and experienced what it's like to lose somebody, I'm not going to inflict that on other people that I mm-hmm. love, my God. Um, mm-hmm. But again, I wasn't struggling with, with real suicidality or depression. So that's a different, you know, that's a different uh, mental health crisis. Um, so, uh, but, um, and then... And then, and then the despair. And then I, I also thought about, um, again, taking action, rituals, community. So I think the real, the hard part is that when you feel that despair, you want to be, you think you want to be isolated, right? You want to go to by yourself. Um, and same thing with early grief. You're like, I want to, I don't want anybody around me. I can't take it. But actually, Shiva taught me that that's not true. I actually did want people around me. I did need to talk about Ruby and heart and my grief to other people. And that was a very valuable lesson because every night of Shiva, I would be like, oh God, they're coming. They're coming again <laughs> already. It's already time. No, right. no. And then, and then here they come. You know what I mean? Right. The door opens like, and oh, the door opens. For like, oh, four God. hours, it's like a no, barrage no. of people. But then I was always left feeling like, oh, this is wonderful that I get to do that. I get to talk. Not wonderful is not the right word, I guess, but (laughs) I guess it wasn't wonderful. But it was supportive. Supportive, supportive, yes. Yes. And necessary. Yeah. It felt necessary to me. Yeah. And so so I guess, you know, in the moment of despair, you feel like closing yourself off, but actually you need to do the opposite. You need to get out and reach out and and take action. Um, and so I think I had sort of learned that viscerally, like whenever my instinct says, no, <laughs> I don't want the pain. I don't want the people. I don't want life. I'd be like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Alarm mm-hmm. bells. That's mm-hmm. wrong. And I would say, yes, I would. I would say yes to help. Yes to people. Yes to doing something uh, out in the world. Well, and the book really walks through so many different steps and prompts and and rituals Mm. and things that people can do. What I found so touching was the letters that you would write to friends Mm. or the letter that Gail wrote when she went back to work uh, around helping people to be comfortable around you, which a lot or what you needed, which a lot of people will say, 
well, I don't want to have to do that. I shouldn't have to educate other people around how I'm grieving. They should know, or they should do this, or they should do that. Mm -hmm. Why did you do that? And what did you find when you did? Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's exactly right. That it, It's so prevalent, the idea of like, why should I educate all these people? I'm the one that's suffering. And I, I think I felt like I, I might have been sort of uniquely empowered because I I would have definitely been the person to avoid somebody in grief, mm -hmm. 100%. So I had a lot of sympathy and compassion and understanding for people who wanted to avoid me because I was definitely in their camp, you know, times 10. Mm -hmm. So so I think I sort of, it was easier for me to think like, oh my God, these poor people, I need to help them help me <laughs> because otherwise I'm going to be alone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because if the world's like me, <laughs> right. I mean, right? right, I'm in trouble. Right. My, my old me, if the whole world is like old me, then new me is in big trouble. Right, right. <laughs> I better say something to these people. Um, and uh, and then, uh, you know, some people say like, oh, it, it, it must take a lot of like, um, con not confidence, but it, it's it's hard to say what you need to your friends, right? It's definitely an mm -hmm. act of like um, courage, uh, courage, yeah, courage, and and you know it's going to be socially awkward. You don't normally tell your friends what to do, right? Right, right. <laughs> how to talk to you. you this right. is how you need to talk to me, right? <laughs> um, but uh, I knew my friends loved me, and and I knew it was it, the stakes were so high for me. Mm -hmm. It was I was going to go out. I was going to lose my mind if I couldn't talk about Ruby and Hart mm -hmm. and my pain, I would, I, I wasn't going to able, I wasn't going to make it. So if it was going to be a little socially awkward to tell some close friend, listen, you need to say Ruby and Hart's names right away. You know what I mean? That doesn't seem so hard to mm -hmm. me in context. It didn't seem hard to tell people what I needed. Uh, and then I got, again, I both got amazing positive feedback right away because it was so helpful to my friends and, and family, right? They wanted to be told what to say and you right. know, what we, what, what, how we should talk, the ground rules mm -hmm. to make them feel safer. Um, well, and that this notion of, you know, people say, well, I don't want to remind them of right. as, as if you're going about your day and they say <laughs> yeah. to your kids' names and you're like, oh yeah, forgot, <laughs> forgot. about them. You know, yeah. like, I mean, I I'm sure every minute of every day is basically... Right. so it's not a reminder yeah. it's it's no. it's uh it's in some ways an honoring yeah oh that. yeah 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 and it also just helps me not be like i'm i haven't lost my mind because mm -hmm. you're thinking about my children too right because you knew them also you're also right. grieving my children my children right. were such wonderful people that so many people love them you know, they're all in pain, these people, mm -hmm. right? They're all rocked. Um, and that and they so, mattered. I think yeah. that's, that's you know, I think at the core of what so many of us want is to know we mattered and yeah. to know that our lives mattered and that our families mattered and, and, you know, that your kids mattered, not just to you, but it sounds like they touched so many other yeah. people as well. Yeah. And often we don't know, like, I think too, when you lose a child, you don't necessarily always see all that, that whole world, teenagers right. in particular, that they, yeah. that they orbit in, right? Like they have friends and kids at school and you might not know all those people. Yeah. And if you but, get to talk to them, you get to hear stories mm -hmm. that you would never have known otherwise. Yeah. Which we got to do. We got to hear stories about our children. Um, so that was an amazing gift. Um, and, and you it's asked easy. for their birthdays for people. Was that for their birthdays to write, yeah. to, to write, write letters, write letters and stories that you would have? Yeah, yeah, that was very powerful. Mm -hmm. um, and that wasn't our wasn't our idea. It was a, a friend of Ruby's. She, she just you know yeah yeah. She said, "Can I can I write Ruby a birthday letter?" And we're like, "Oh, that's a great idea. We would love." A birthday letter from you and from actually everybody that knew them. Um, that would be how an many did you gift. get? One hundred and forty. No way. Yeah, one hundred and forty letters. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, it was really amazing. Yeah. What a gift! And we read, to be able we read each one. You know, I we, bet we, uh, 
I would read each one every day. I would have <laughs> would be next well, to my bed in the morning. We created a whole ritual where we would we were up in Joshua Tree um, at that house, um, which became like a grief retreat for us. And then we we would it was during the pandemic, also, so it was all locked down. But we would walk mm-hmm. for about a half an hour up this beautiful hike to these beautiful rocks, surrounded by other rocks out in the out in the wilderness, and we would read these letters aloud to Ruby and Heart spirits. Mm-hmm like eight letters a day. And that's all we could do. We all we could handle. And, uh, and we would weep. Um, and it was, uh, it, w- it was hard, but beautiful, you know, mm-hmm. that's kind of the journey. Hard, but beautiful, hard, but beautiful. This, this saying, the title of the book, finding the words is sort of a play on, I don't know if it's a play on, but on this notion that people say when you lose a child, which is there are no words, right? Like yeah. people come up to, I can envision it watching other people at Shiva's being like, don't go there. Right? <laughs> like they just come up and there are no words, which is yeah. I've often said is not, I, I don't believe that's true. I believe there are plenty <laughs> of words. I also think when people say like, I can't imagine what you're right. going through. It's like, no, you can, right. you don't want to go there. Right. But you can you can imagine you can. it because it's you know the the to me I think it's one of the worst things you could experience in life. Yeah. Um yeah. and and so you can imagine it but people don't know how to put that into words, right? So they just say there's nothing I can say. Right. And it right. becomes about their own discomfort. So what what mm-hmm. are the words in those moments that people yeah. can say? Yeah. Yeah. So uh I wanted to say the the title of my book it, it does it does reference that for sure, but it, mostly it's targeting it's it's aimed at people who are grieving finding their own words, mm. you know, to 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 literally process their own grief. Mm. Um, but but in terms of like what are the words to say to other grieve to grieving people, um, <clears throat> I think in a way some of the words that that Ruby and Hart's friends came up with were the most powerful, which was they simply shared their feelings of love and loss. They just came up to us. They weren't filtered by being afraid of doing or saying the wrong thing. Right. They didn't, they didn't, no one had taught them yet the phrase, there are no words. Mm -hmm. I guess you get, you learn that when you're like 20 or so. I don't know what happens. (laughs) At some point you learn that's the phrase and then everybody just says that and you're done. But, um, uh, so these kids would just share about how, how they loved Ruby and Hart and how much pain they were in. And, um, and then we could talk about Ruby and Hart. Um, but the real thing is that uh, I think people who are, who love people who've lost somebody dear to them are trying to give comfort. They're trying to take mm-hmm. away the pain. And that's when you get into trouble um, because you can't take away their pain. And if you're trying to, you're going to inevitably say things that are going to rub them the wrong way in one way or another, because mm-hmm. you're trying to minimize, on some level, you're trying to minimize their pain. And people in grief need to feel that pain and need to feel that pain be valid and validated mm-hmm. as opposed to erased or minimized. Right. 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 Any attempt to try and comfort somebody is actually going to backfire uh, in my mind. And so really what what's most helpful is, to, is for people to be listening mm-hmm. to people in grief, to be with them, to be with them in their pain and not be afraid of their pain. Um, you know, this. This, I talk about in the, in the book, the very first lesson I learned about that was taught by um, uh, the, a doctor in the um, pediatric intensive care unit that was taking care of Hart in his final moments. Mm-hmm. And um, Hart, Hart died of three life-ending, life-ending injuries, so there was no chance for him to survive. Um, uh, they tried valiantly, but they couldn't stop any of these three life-ending injuries. So she pulled us aside in the room and she told us that this truth that that heart was just being kept alive for a few more moments so we could you know say goodbye to him before they pulled the plug but that he was gone right and then instead of being frightened of our pain she leaned in and said tell me about ruby and heart and so she wasn't giving us words of comfort right she wasn't telling us it's all going to be okay or mm-hmm. they're in heaven so don't worry or you'll see them again or you know, it, no, no, this it, it was God's plan. Right. Was a, right. Yeah. There was no attempt to try and fix our pain. In fact, she was leaning into it and saying, tell me, 
and she because she knew we were going to be weeping and right and and convulsed with pain but she gave us an action which was to, to tell a story mm. about ruby and heart mm. um, a life-affirming action in our moment of of the deepest uh first moment of shock and horror right of being told our that our not only was our daughter dead but now also our son was dead mm -hmm. um and uh and that was so so amazing uh for her to be there with us in her pain that's exactly that she wasn't telling us anything she was asking us you know tell tell me about ruby and heart mm -hmm. um and that's that's the gift you can give people in grief is to be there and allow them to tell stories and ask them the kind of questions that will allow them to think about their loved one in life you know and you talk a bit about the afterlife which <laughs> i always talk about here tell us about your belief or lack of belief in the afterlife <laughs> how you yeah. see that as maybe a potential for spiritually bypassing grief yeah and i'm also curious if you have felt i always ask people like do you feel like you've experienced any signs mm -hmm. or connection or felt yeah. them since they've yeah. been on yeah yeah so so i i, I don't want to um I don't want to step on anyone else's personal beliefs, right? So, you know, I want to get that caveat that mm -hmm. I don't want to, I'm not trying to put down anybody else's beliefs because um, how we, how we believe about, you know, life after death is very, very personal, obviously, but, um, and important, but my belief, um, it, it's kind of a fluid, kind of mysterious feeling because I have had moments, like I've, I've had dreams where they've come to me in dreams, right? And sometimes they've turned into nightmares. Sometimes I have a nice mm -hmm. moment with them. And then I remember in the dream, oh, no, you're dead mm -hmm. in the dream. I remember this um, and I wake up and it's and it's brutal. But um, but I have had beautiful moments with them in dreams. And and certainly, you know, butterflies have landed and hummingbirds have come by. And it's nice. I feel it's nice to think about, oh, maybe they're visiting me. Um, or I also think like. I think that they're watching me sometimes and thinking like I'm making them proud, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the the deeper truth for me is that they're inside me, that they they made me who I am. Mm. Their love and their their presence and their minds, um, they're they they changed who I am. Uh, so they're they're here, they're here present in me and my wife, um, and that that feels real to me. Mm. Um, the the one thing I. The one thing I feel about like looking for signs is that I, I, I do become concerned for other people if they're really dependent on those signs. Right. Because then what happens if, if you're like, the hummingbirds are my children and then there's no hummingbirds for two months. Do you get like despair? I don't know. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. where are my children? I thought they were gonna be here. You know what I mean? Right. But like, right. like, well, so, so if you're able to just take, take the signs as just nice, bonuses right mm -hmm. that's how i look mm -hmm. at it it's like a mm -hmm. it's like a, a gravy like oh that's nice a nice thought that's sweet that you know maybe that butterfly is like a, some kind of spirit of ruby and heart somehow but um but i do believe that some people use the afterlife as a quick fix mm -hmm. um, especially when they're comforting people who've lost you know loved ones like you know oh you're gonna see them in heaven and it's like if you believe that that's great but you're still going to miss them on earth. You still get Correct. to mourn, right? That right. it doesn't, you have, to, you have to be allowed to feel the loss in this life. Right. Even if you believe you're going to see them, that's wonderful. I, but that's I love not that right idea. now. Not right now. Right. They, they had a whole life that they were planning on living and that was taken from them and taken from you. And right. it's going to hurt and that's right. okay. So that, so I do feel strongly about that, um, mm -hmm. that, that if, if you do believe in an afterlife, um, you're still allowed to mourn <laughs> because that's reality. You've, right. you've still lost somebody. That's okay. You know, I think some people, some people I, I've read, some people in religious communities feel like they're judged, like they sh they're supposed to be done grieving by now because they should be joyous. Their, their, their loved one is in heaven that called to God and that wonderful. Mm. And it's like, well, even if that is wonderful, they, they're not here. Right. <laughs> you get to feel that pain. Right. That's okay. Don't try and, and fix it. I think that that robs no? people of what it means to be human. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, cuz you're you're living in denial that Right. 
because you did have hopes and dreams in this life with this person, you know, that's real. That's a real loss. Well, and, and we are such a society now of don't dismiss any feelings, right? Like how important it Mm. is for us to feel anything, but yet when it comes to grief, we're like, oh no, no, but not that one. (laughs) Right. You know, like (laughs) that one we shouldn't feel. Yeah. everything else bring it on but you know when, <laughs> when we're talking about grief you'll see them again don't worry about it god's yeah. plan whatever it is to sort of minimize mm. the intensity yeah yeah because it's too scary people yeah. are scared of it so i wanted just two more things i feel like I, there's so much to cover here i could talk oh. to you for hours but <laughs> um you started fostering yeah a child yeah. yeah and i was really hoping for a happy ending mm. yeah what made you put your heart out there again in that way yeah fearlessly bravely <laughs> to... yeah hopefully right hopefully um uh well it was actually ruby's idea i credit ruby mm-hmm. you know like two years before she was killed she said to us we should foster adopt and Gail and I like, what? First of all, how do you know? You're like, she was like 14 at the time. How do you know about foster adoption? Right. right. But she did. She's like, well, I they're, you know. Speaking to probably how amazing they were. Like, <laughs> yeah, I think so. Right. She, was, she was super, super amazing. And so, um, and she said, you know, our family is so full of love. And there are people out there who need families, who need this love. And we could share it. I was like, that's so beautiful. Um, and then it was about two weeks after the crash and Gail and I were, were aching. You know, it's so interesting. You're in a home and there's two empty bedrooms mm. and, and it just, it feels like, oh my God, once upon a time there were children in those rooms. What a privilege that is, right? What a privilege to have children in your home. Like, I can't even, I can't even believe that I was so lucky that I had them in my house because now they're gone and I just feel this horrible aching, right? Well, and I was thinking about that actually last night as I was folding laundry, getting ready to interview you today, mm. you know, yeah. and that, that moment that slips in, it's like oh, more long, like this, right. en- this endless supply of laundry that seems <laughs> to never end. And I had a moment where I thought of you and I was like, mm. what a beautiful thing to be able to, fo- I'm going to cry. To be able yeah. to fold lawn, my kids' laundry. Your kids' laundry, absolutely. Yeah, and 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 don't get me wrong, I was irritated plenty at Ruby and Hart's kids, and like, <laughs> oh my god, and I love taking vacations with just Gail and I, you know, escaping for a romantic getaway for a weekend. <laughs> but but now that they're gone, it's like, oh my god. So so I said to Gail just two weeks after the crash, I said, you know, we we can still be parents again. We can we can mm-hmm. foster adopt. And she said, thank God you said that because I was thinking it. But I was scared you wouldn't want to, mm-hmm. you know, because we lost. We lost our children. Mm-hmm. And that pain is so terrible. And so we took a chance. Um, and, and the reality is this, this girl is quite an extraordinary girl. She's 16 now. Um, and I, you know, I do, I do love her. Um, but she did not. She decided after a year and a half that she did not want to be part of a family. She did not want to be open. She couldn't open herself up to love and vulnerability because her history had been so, you know, catastrophic Mm -hmm. when she did do that. When she was a little girl and she opened Mm -hmm. up her love and her heart to her biological family who, um, you know, abused her, mistreated her, abandoned her, betrayed her, all these terrible, terrible things, right? Um, And so it makes sense that she doesn't want to open her heart, you know. Uh, and so as she started to grow closer to us, I think she rebelled, she panicked yeah. um, and said, actually, I want to be left alone. I want to go back to a foster home that's not going to adopt me, that doesn't even speak my language. And I'm just going to be like ignored because I feel more comfortable being ignored. It's safer, you know, mm-hmm. safer for her mm-hmm. emotionally. And so I, I, you know, I hope that on her journey, she she's able to change and grow in, in, a, in a healthy way. But so she's somewhere out in the foster world. And we, we, we're, we're in touch, you know, uh, we uh, text her now and again. And she's, um, and we have an, a nice relationship, I think, texting, but, um, but no details. She doesn't tell us any details about her mm-hmm. life. 
But then, just to further update you, Gail and I are now fostering to adopt uh, siblings. Oh. Yeah, brother, sister. Wow. Yeah. So he's he's 13 and she's 12. And they've, they've been with us for four months now. And uh, and they're also wonderful kids. And um, and now we now we know a little more about like it's a challenging road, right? We've been mm-hmm. down a very challenging road fostering to adopt. Um, and apparently it's, it's quite common. You know, you, you, you foster to adopt a teenager and they're coming. They're they're more fully formed. Um, they need family. They need love. And and, right. and this, this first daughter of ours knew that. She's like, I know, I know a family's better. I know I need a family, but I can't. <laughs> Basically, mm-hmm. what she said. And these two siblings, they also know they need a family. Um, they they do not want to be with their biological family. They they've said no. I we 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 will not we will not go back to them. Um, and so they're on a path to adoption and they need a need a family. And so we are we are hopeful. We're hopeful that this time it's going to work and they're going to be we're going to be a forever family. It's such a beautiful I mean, I'm like, can you foster or adopt me like you? You just <laughs> exude so much love that I can only imagine what it must have been like to be your children and oh. for these kids to have the gift of that love. Oh, thank you. Thank you. But the reality is, and it's a tough reality, is that they have endured incredible loss and grief and trauma, right? Yeah. So these kids are, you know, a life of trauma. And so it's not like, it's not like Annie. You know what I right, mean? right, right. It's not right. just like, no. oh, like love doesn't fix everything. You know, that's mm-hmm. the, that's the tough lesson, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, so it is, it is, um, we are engaged in parenting, right? We are parenting these youth, right? And, uh, and you and don't know what you don't know what they can, what they're come bringing. I mean, you know some of what they bring to the right. table, but right. not all of what they're bringing to the no. table and what no. their history and everything. So it's, exactly, it's a Herculean yeah. task, and yeah. I, yeah. I want to hear what ha- i'm gonna check in on this because yeah yeah well i sure hope it goes better than last time me too <laughs> me too but, um, so i yeah. just i just want to end with this quote in the book um oh. I'm, i think oh, i should i should show the book i should do this yeah i'm, ter- I'm terrible at this oh. look how pretty the book oh, is well, it is so pretty it is a beautiful i love book. this design we're both showing the book oh. um and I said to you before we started that um, it is, I read, everybody knows who listens, I read all these books. It is beautiful. It is comprehensive. It mm-hmm. gives you real practical things to work on and to to incorporate into your grief journey if you are grieving um, it doesn't matter who you're grieving. It doesn't have to be a child. It could be no. anybody. No. And it's it's amazing. So oh, this you. this quote is actually was a reminder to you, um, and it's from Welcome to the Grief Club. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and you say, the pain of their death is not the only bond you have left. Joy also connects you to them through the happiness they brought to your life when they were alive. Joy is not at odds with our grief, but rather an essential part of our healing. Joy gives us a bit of relief when it hurts too much to keep going. It provides fuel to keep living. Joy reminds us what we are living for. And yes. it, it seems to me you're able to carry the joy and the pain. Yeah, yeah. I try. Simultaneously. Yeah, yeah that's the goal. And I, so I, I read that quote and I thought it was so beautiful. So I, so I put it in my book because <laughs> right. I was like, she put it perfectly. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Welcome to the, the Grief Club. It's a great book. Yeah. Well, Colin, thank you so much. Like we said, the book is Finding the Words, Working Through Profound Loss with Hope and Purpose. I cannot recommend it enough. It is there. I just, it's so, it's just a beautiful read. Even if you're not grieving, it's just a beautiful read. The eulogies at the end, what you share, you know, I mean, there's so much we didn't touch on today and so much more (laughs) we could have. Um, 
but just absolutely incredible. So Colin, I'm so sorry for your loss of Ruby and heart and Mm. what joy. And it sounds like how much they had ahead of them and could have brought to this world. That's so, so needs their kindness and specialness and to Gail as well. Mm. And, and for you you being brave enough as a man, which we didn't touch on masculinity and grief, but as yeah, a man yeah. sharing this really profound journey and your ability to to dig deep inside yourself and access those feelings and not run and hide from them because so mm. many do. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Where can people find your work, your ah. one-man shit show that's over? <laughs> yeah. So, um, so on Instagram, I'm at colin campbell writer uh and i have a website uh www.colincampbellauthor.com and that's information about my book and then my show is at <laughs> www.griefaoneman.shitshow.com <laughs> <laughs> and that tells you information about my show okay but, um yeah great well all of this will be in my show notes as well so colin thank you so much please Keep me updated. I want to hear what happens with your two foster to adopt children. I'm really, I'm rooting for you. I'm sure everybody that's listening (laughs) is rooting for you and Gail as well. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Wondering what comes next and what it all means? Head over to Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Also, if you could take a minute to rate and review my podcast, I would really appreciate it. Stay tuned as we continue to explore life, death, and the space between. Even on a budget, Quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.